Hello, stranger. Welcome to the Lineup Podcast. If you're a fan of mystery, you've come to the right place. With each episode, we unearth a strange case from around the world. Today's episode, we join Eric Olson of America's Most Haunted. His daredevil performance one Halloween night leads to a life-saving encounter with the other side. I'm Eric Olson of America's Most Haunted, and this is a tale of Halloween and the redemptive power of music. When I was 14, we moved from Southern California to Chagrin Falls, Ohio. It was quite a culture shock, but it ended up being a really good change for me as I went from a graduating class from junior high of 1,500 people to a four grade high school that only had 800 people. So I was able to participate in many more activities and functions, and my three years at Chagrin were jam-packed as they would not have been in San Pedro, California, where I would have had to really specialize. But nonetheless, it was a transition. It's not always easy to meet people. And one of the things I had going for me was I played guitar and was very eager to start a rock band. Now, when I say I played guitar, I mean I had taken lessons since I was maybe 10 or thereabouts and had gradually started working on things on my own, trying to get it figured out, but I still really just mostly worked from sheet music. And those of you who play rock, play pop, play anything live, you know that what you read on the sheet music has very little to do with the way a song is actually played by a band, especially on guitar, where you're using lots of bar chords and whatnot. So I had recently picked up an electric guitar, I think uh, I think for my birthday when I was 13, so I'd been working on it for a while. So anyway, had this idea, okay, let's start a band. I started meeting people who were interested in, in playing music, met a singer, keyboard player, lots of other guitar players, lots of drummers, and finally found a bass player. So we assembled ourselves at uh, the singer's house because he had the most room. and We were able to leave the equipment set up for a while so we didn't have to break down all the time. And we came together and assembled, and we all brought our sheet music, and we started working on songs. And this was... uh, Hard to believe this is way back in 1972 or three. And uh, man, it's a long time ago. So among the songs we were playing and working on, uh, as I recall, we were doing Bowie and Stones, Mott the Hoople, and we were trying Sunshine of Your Love by Eric Clapton, whom I absolutely idolized at that point. And for the life of me, couldn't figure out how he got the sounds he got. So we're plugging away and reading the music 
slavishly and trying to get it to sound like the record, which I gotta tell you, my friends, it did not. Then one rehearsal, we were, we were starting to get kind of frustrated because we didn't sound much like we wanted to sound. And one of the guys in the band had a cousin who was a real musician. He wasn't that much older than we were. He was uh, maybe early 20s, very early 20s, but he sure seemed a lot older. And he had actually toured and played in bands, and this guy was the real rock and roll deal. So he took pity on us and started showing us how to actually play the way the songs sounded. And it was miraculous. It was a revelation. He started showing us how bar chords work. We knew bar chords, but we didn't know how to work them together and to get them to sound like it does on the record. And his recurring refrain was, no, 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 let me show you. And he'd grab the guitar out of your hand, show you how to do it with exasperation, but somewhere in there, a, a layer of affection as well. And he showed us how to play songs. So we started working on it. And sometimes he'd be there a few uh, rehearsals in a row, weeks in a row, other times he'd disappear and he would just, we didn't know where he was, he'd go off on the road, we assume, doing his rock and roll thing. Then he'd show up again, kind of right when we were about to, felt like we were falling apart and didn't know what we were doing and we'd tried to learn songs on our own again and he'd, he'd show up in the nick of time and show us how to play it, resting the guitars from our hands, showing us how to play, exasperated, but with affection. And so it went throughout high school. We had a, a variety of bands. There were three or four different units with revolving members. You know how it is in school. People come and go. At one point you got three guitar players. Another time you have two drummers. You got multiple bass players. You got way more people than you need. Sometimes you don't have enough people. But eventually we kind of settled on a unit that was really pretty good. We had one like real good, solid set. And we played that set at parties, mostly just private things around town, but we had a few larger scale events and we actually ended up winning a battle of the bands for a high school bands. And this is nothing like they do today where you got really crack units playing original music, sounding amazing. This was just a bunch of cover bands of kids who were in high school. So, but you know, we were good enough to win one. So that gave us a pat on the back and we played at Blossom Time at Chagrin and all that. So it was cool, it was fun. But my senior year, which was 1975, hard to believe, Halloween came around and what we had been able to do besides work hard and keep learning songs and getting a lot better, is one of the mothers of, of the guys in the band had told us about a space that was available in the basement of the art center, the Chagrin Falls Art Center. I don't think it's there anymore. And it was amazing. Imagine high school kids having a place where our, of our own that we had access to, we had a key to. We could get in there, we could do whatever we wanted within reason. We could practice and hang out and just be cool and once in a while have a beer or two. We had to be very careful about that. We weren't big drinkers, but you know, we did every once in a while. So the big, big deal for us was we were going to play at our own party in our own place for Halloween. It was amazing. 
It was exciting. We were so charged up. And it was this tiny little space with about 50 people crammed in there, literally elbow to elbow. And we start playing and all the girls show up and they're wearing their winter coats and costumes. And we thought we were so cool to be playing for this crowd. We're rocking out. We're like adults. We're better than adults. We are teenagers playing in a rock band in our own place in high school. It was so, so cool. And it's Halloween, the magic night, the most wonderful night of the year. Unless you include Christmas Eve. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about Halloween. And there was just something in the air. There was a magic in the air. And the, the clouds went across the moon in that magic Halloween-y kind of way. And if you kind of squinted, looked out of one eye, you could see maybe, was that a witch flying across the moon? Nah, nothing like that. So, meanwhile, our friend, the helpful gnome, we always thought of him as a gnome. He's kind of a small guy with red hair and he kind of bounced around like a gnome and he'd wear a gnome kind of hat every now and then. We hadn't seen him in a long time and actually we became concerned. It wasn't that unusual for him to disappear, but this time he'd been gone months and we hadn't heard anything. And the guy who was the cousin who had been in our band originally way back when we met him, he wasn't in the band anymore, so we didn't have immediate access to information on where our savior, our mentor, our guitar god had gone. Just before Halloween, we had heard the tragic, terrible news that our friend and mentor had in fact died on the road, alcoholic stupor. I, we hadn't realized the extent, I guess, of his chemical dependency issues. Apparently they were very, very strong. And, and very, very debilitating from time to time. I had never really seen him like that. But he, had, he was on the road and he had, he had died, I guess literally of alcohol poisoning. It was very sad. But you know, you go on, we were dopey dumb kids, we're gonna have a party. Weren't really thinking about him by the time the party rolled around. So imagine this atmosphere, it's all smoky, it's dark, we had lights, you know, cool stage lights, flashing, blinking, tiny little space, all these teenagers jammed in there, hormones flying left and right. We were drinking some beer, I do have to admit, it is true. Remember at the time, Ohio was an 18 state for low beer. I don't know if anyone remembers that. 3.2 beer. It was pee water, but nonetheless, it was beer. We're playing, we're rocking out. Finally, we get to kind of the climax, at least for me, which was sunshine of your love. And we had figured it out, we had it down. And the solo came around and I finally learned that, man, he had to beat that solo into me. That and so on and so forth, but not with my mouth on a guitar. So by then I knew it, I'm playing it, I'm rocking out, I'm just feeling mega cool. What could be better? We're in this tiny little space, remember, and my back is up against the wall. My amplifier is absolutely shoved against the wall and I'm kind of leaning against my amplifier, kind of over my amplifier and against the wall because I'm just jammed in there. So I, fi I finished my solo, I rock it out. I could tell, ooh, I'm a little out of tune here. I think I'm gonna tune. Meanwhile, the band just kept playing. This was a relatively informal setting. We were jamming. We just kind of kept playing and playing and playing and playing. 
band keeps playing, I'm going to tune up my guitar. I put my pick between my teeth, like I always did. That was my habit. Where are you going to put your pick? Well, I'll just put it between my teeth. So I put it between my teeth. I'm facing, I'm turning around. Now I'm facing, I'm bent over, facing my amp, and I'm trying to hear as I'm uh, playing the strings and tuning the guitar. For no good reason, nothing that I'll ever understand or know why, for some reason, I think maybe I, I was a little out of breath, or remember, because the air was so smoky, I opened my teeth slightly, I inhaled, and the pick shot down my throat, stuck right in the middle of my windpipe. No air coming in, no air going out. I was absolutely stuck. And of course, with all the noise and commotion and crowd, no one's paying the slightest bit of attention to me. I'm thinking, okay, I'll get this sorted out. I'll get this figured out. I'm kind of hitting myself on the back. That's not doing anything. Start kind of hitting myself in the chest. That's not doing anything. Finally, I'm reaching way down with my finger down my throat. I can't reach it. I can't reach it. Finally, finally, I get it down far enough. Oh! And I turn it a little bit. It moves like a carburetor. It opens sideways. Air goes in. Oh, thank God I'm saved. And then as the air goes out, it shuts again completely shut off. Now I'm starting to feel very concerned, bordering on panic. It's getting longer and longer. No one's paying any attention to me at all. They couldn't care less. They don't know what I'm doing. I'm tuning my guitar. I'm making weird gesticulations. They don't know. They don't care. Meanwhile, it's getting worse and worse. I'm starting to fade. I, I, my, my vision is starting to pixelate. I'm starting to feel lightheaded. I'm starting to think about, oh my God, this cannot be. I cannot die at this age, at this party, on Halloween. It's just not fair. And as I feel myself drifting down, no longer having the strength even to stay on my feet, something slams me on the back. Wham! The pick goes flying out of my mouth. Blood flecks, spit everywhere, flying, hits some girl on the cheek and it sticks on her cheek. I thought, ooh, gross. But I am so happy. I can breathe. I am alive. I will not perish on this Halloween night, the senior year of high school, which would have been embarrassing and stupid and would have upset my parents, frankly. And I say, yes! I am saved, and I hear behind my ear as if the voice is right behind me. No, 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 no. Let me show you. Yes, that's right. There's no one behind me but a wall. I look around. There's no one paying any attention even then that I have been saved and redeemed and I am breathing. Who hit me on the back? Well, I believe I was saved by a ghost on Halloween. Joining us now is Eric Olson from America's Most Haunted. Hi, Eric. Hi, Matthew. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, we'll get, of course, to your story you shared with us shortly here. But first, I want to talk about your working relationship with the supernatural. 
You're a founder of America's Most Haunted, which investigates everything from paranormal hotspots to crypto, zoology, and UFO encounters. I'm curious if you could talk more about this project, how it began, and uh, what it's up to now. All right. Well, it began uh, basically as uh, the brand itself began as a book project, and we hmm. had the idea. Uh, I had met uh, the haunted housewife, Teresa Argy, via her appearance on uh, a travel channel show called Paranormal Challenge. And what they did was they paired up teams, and then they literally had paranormal teams, and then they literally had a competition. So the Haunted Housewives won their edition. I heard, obviously, throughout the course that they were from this area. I'm in the, in the Cleveland area. At that point, I was the publisher of the Morton Report, and I was writing for it. Mm. I noticed in the various stories that I was writing for the Morton Report, that the paranormal stories were the ones that were really doing the best. And what I was doing is really covering it more from a media standpoint. And the way mm. that got started was my wife and I stumbled across this show called Ghost Adventures. I'd never heard of it before. Didn't know there was such a thing as TV shows that actually investigate the paranormal, and not only investigate it, but expect to find something. Huh. I thought that was astonishing and just bizarre. Huh. There were several other shows like that, including Ghost Hunters and on and on and on. And so I started covering them. And I was interviewing the stars and actually did some set visits and uh, met Zach, ba Zach Bagans a few times on, on different sets. Went down and visited when they were uh, shooting at the Ohio State Reformatory. And that interview, I think, ended up being the biggest story we ever did, and I think even to huh. this day, on the Morton Report. So I said, aha! This was something I was interested in, something I'd had an interest in, in since childhood. Um, right. I'd kind of turned my back on it, as, as is evidenced by my story, which took place when I huh. was in high school. Uh, you know, I, I had incidents. I had things happen to me, and I was clearly sensitive to this other world. At the time, it really confused me. I, I, I wasn't able to kind of sort out the difference uh, if, in fact, there was one, between the what we now call, I didn't even know the term then, the paranormal world, which is kind of neutral in terms of um, spirituality slash religion, and then the religious world. And I was hmm. brought up uh, uh, fairly religious, nothing fanatical, but grew up Lutheran. And so I was kind of confused. Are, are these things that I am kind of experiencing and sometimes really experiencing are these mm. demonic is this from the devil is is are ghosts something that exist apart from kind of this you know really rigid hierarchy that that you have within christianity in terms of mm. entities and what they are uh, basically in christianity you don't really have anything other than you have people you have angels you know, heavenly bodies of various kinds, and then you have uh, the dwellers of Hades from right. uh, the devil himself on down. Huh. And I, I wasn't sure that there was any kind of uh, wow. difference between these things. So it kind of frightened me and upset me, and I just turned it off. And so I, nothing really happened to me. I didn't really hmm. have any experiences for uh, close to 30 years, believe it or hmm. not. And then... 
um, again, I, I got back into it, became kind of much more open to it, or at least actively thinking about it, um, as I started covering these shows, and that's just in the fairly recent past. So, as to America's Most Haunted, uh, I had met Teresa. We um, were invited, my wife and I were invited to come along with their team to go on an investigation. We found it fascinating, really interesting. We realized how serious they were, and they had the equipment, and, but they had their own philosophy as well, the Haunted Housewives did. So Teresa and I um, you know, were just talking and got along, and I thought it would be really interesting and fun to, uh, to do a book. And uh, we came up with the America, America's Most Haunted format, which is the 10 most haunted public or semi-public buildings in the country, not just buildings, locations hmm. in the country. And we use a combination of interviews with personal experiences with very carefully researched history. We're really hmm. trying to sort out the myths and the right. legends associated with right. these places from the historical realities. And it was interesting because some of the stories and legends that we kind of assumed were true, that, that sounded more or less plausible, um, some of those turned out to not be true, and others that mm. we thought just sounded pretty <laughs> fantastical did turn out to be true. And mm. the brand has manifested itself basically through the various multimedia. So we're very, very strong on, on social media, and we're combining the America's Most Haunted site with the radio show that I am the co-host of, which is After Hours AM, because the show is Thursday night. And I will kind of turn my attention, uh, or, or share my attention anyway, more so with the website, along with the social media, along with the radio and um, everything else. So in a nutshell, that's America's Most Haunted. That's great. And that's exciting, the developments that are occurring. Congratulations on getting that all put together. And I think that's what's so yeah, powerful about America's Most Haunted is the journalistic muscle behind it. It's not simply a retelling of ghost stories. It's not simply uh, hearsay. You, you truly investigate and invest time into putting each story together. Absolutely. Um, what I've actually mutated toward kind of as I have been throwing myself back into the paranormal world and, and for the first time in my life, really, from a, from a journalistic standpoint over these last uh, few years, is to be able to sort that out. And I think that's kind of one of the main things that I personally can bring to it because, you know, as I'm sure you know, there are many, 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 many hundred thousands um, perfectly competent and skilled paranormal investigators out there, but there aren't a whole lot of them who are trained and experienced writer slash editor mm -hmm. slash journalist. So I'm sure. trying really hard to get underneath the stories and the legends. I'm neither a skeptic nor a believer. Um, I great. just kind of take it one by one. I, huh. as, as you know, I have had some very intense personal experiences that I can't really explain or I can't explain right. other than through paranormal means. So certainly I, I believe there's something going on, and that's kind of right. what I'm trying to do. One of my majors was philosophy. So part of what interests me in this is the worldview, kind of the cosmology of it. If even one single case in the history of the world of a haunting, 
of a, of a paranormal entity interacting with our world. If even just one of them is true, the implications are staggering. Huh. It means there huh. is life after death of some hmm. form. Hmm. And that is very, very powerful and very, very hmm. meaningful. Um, I'm also very interested in it from the the kind of the practical and the scientific side of it. Hmm. Okay, so if any of this is real, well, what could it be? What? How can you explain it from a physics standpoint, from an hmm. energy standpoint? What are these things? And if these things are real, how is it that they who do not have bodies, they do not have a corporeal uh, element to themselves, how are they interacting with living beings? So these are the kinds of questions that aren't necessarily real typical of, of what people right. pursue that I'm interested in. And you said earlier that you, uh, you know, as a young man, you turned your back on the supernatural and the paranormal, paranormal, but upon turning back to face it, as you are now with America's Most Haunted, what happened? Did the uh, did sensations, did experiences start flooding in? That's a very good question, and it's, it's really kind of still open-ended. I've realized hmm. that I, I've clearly opened myself up to a certain extent, but I don't think I have. Hmm. I may not be capable at this stage of my life hmm. of fully opening myself up the way I clearly was before in childhood, through adolescence, and, and, and somewhere in the neighborhood of, of early adulthood when all of this kind of stopped. And, yeah. um, you know, a couple things happened. Uh, after this this kind of break off point, I, one or two things that I actually talk about in the book, I did have an experience when I was when I was DJing. That's what I was doing for a living through most of the the eighties, and I had a quite intense and specific, though very brief, experience on the Queen Mary way back. So I'm in this elevator. I'm absolutely jammed into it. I have a, a cart with all my DJ equipment on top of it. Um, and, and we're squished into this. I'm in there by myself. And all of a sudden, while it was very clearly very tight quarters, like I say, I'm not normally claustrophobic. I don't recall having that sensation. But anyway, I felt the walls all of a sudden just closing in. Huh. And I, I felt very threatened, and I felt uh, it was hard to breathe. And all of a sudden, right behind my head, a huh. voice says, Tight quarters, huh? huh? I about, I about <laughs> came unglued, as you can imagine. This tiny little space, already feeling closed in on and threatened, and now there's a voice. You know, I shot my head around. I bumped my head on the wall of the elevator. That's how close <laughs> I was to it. You know, just turning around without even thinking, of course, there's nothing behind me, obviously, the wall of the elevator, but I hmm. certainly had a weird, strange vibe the rest of that evening. And that yeah. was really kind of the last specific huh. thing that happened for, you know, another, like I said, 25, well, actually more like yeah. 30 years. The main thing that's happened, the most specific thing that's happened was literally the day of our release party, our publication party for the book, which was at one of the 10 locations. It's kind of the uh, Haunted Housewives um, home base, basically. And it's, it's, it's literally a hardware store in Willoughby, Ohio, so right here, 
called Willoughby Coal, and the place just seems to be crazy haunted, just nuts. Huh. And all it is is a hardware store, but it's been there huh. for um, there's been a, a, a building of one kind or another on that site for about like 150 years. So that night, uh, as we were preparing, as we were setting up, and over in the corner, the far corner from where I was standing, where the stairs come up, uh, all of a sudden I see this kind of movement, kind of like when you see heat, when you see heat over a highway mm. or over the desert, where, where reality is, is sort of wrinkled. And right. so this is going on over in the corner, and then that movement seemed to kind of materialize or thicken. And this is in the middle of the day. It seemed to kind of thicken into a figure, a vaguely humanoid figure. And uh, Teresa's partner in the Haunted Housewives is a sensitive uh, herself, and she was standing right next to me, and she saw me staring off into the corner with a pretty glazed look on my eye. And she looked over and said, yep, I see it too. There they are. Huh. Yep. And huh. so that, that's the most specific thing. But it's interesting. Normally, when I'm in these haunted locations this time around over the last few years, I don't feel or see anything. And it, 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 it's more, to me, it's more telling. It's more indicative. Um, not that I'm not just seeing, hearing, the, the senses, not that part. That part to me is less important, less telling than the fact that I don't get the creep vibe, you see. Mm. I'm not picking mm. up on that creep vibe that others who apparently are more sensitive than I am are. The answer is no, I don't think I have fully opened myself up. I'm not sure I can, and to be honest, huh. I'm not sure I want to. Huh. Now, the uh, event at the Rock Club that you told us clearly left a lasting impact on you, but as we're discussing these sensations that you're talking about now, I'm curious how, how it impacted you that very night, that very evening. Uh, immediate, were you uh, able to make sense of what occurred immediately after that pick was not clear from your throat? <laughs> or was it, was it only was oh it a day it after? Was... And I think in particular what's interesting, you mentioned earlier, is this sense of, of fear. I don't want to call it shame necessarily, but that paranoia induced through your religious upbringing that perhaps you were seeing something you shouldn't be seeing that could actually speak poorly upon your soul or where you were going once you yourself passed away. Did any of this come together when you were younger as it happened? That, that's a very good and very interesting question. Um, hmm. Obviously, since this was so long ago, memories can be, you know, um, <laughs> very troubled and, and very right. unreliable. So right. I tried very hard to kind of just clear it all away huh. and let and re, kind of relive the experience as it happened. And I, 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 am, I am gratified to say that every time I've done that, it really kind of does come back the same way. So that hmm. makes me feel pretty confident that my memory of this Plus, of course, it was just such an indelible <laughs> experience, right. but that it's real, and, and that it did yeah. kind of basically happen the way I think it did. Uh, very interesting that you would ask about kind of the, the religious side of it. I, I, in that particular incident and, and everything surrounding it, I think I was just so relieved 
huh. to you know literally not be dead that <laughs> right, to be breathing <laughs> that 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 I was just it, it was euphoria I was very huh. happy I was excited I felt um, wow you know how how special am I that that this happened um, you know I'm I'm very lucky I'm extremely fortunate uh, you know it, it appears for all all my ability to perceive that my life was literally saved. I was intervened with by uh-huh. the supernatural. And how uh-huh. crazy is that? So yeah. that, that this was such a positive thing, you know, how, how ridiculous a way to die that would have been at <laughs> that age. I don't recall at all the kind of the fear of, oh, no, you know, was this intervention some sort of demonic thing no it, i mean right. it literally kind of i mean if i had to place it in one realm or the other uh i i would have thought that it was a you know angelic kind of thing mm. nowadays mm. having a a broader framework to uh, um to work with uh you know it just may have been a purely paranormal thing it wasn't necessarily mm. religious one way or the other this entity for whatever reason, was kind of attached to us, probably just because it was something that, it, it was a non-stressful, positive thing that he could do, just come in and coach us from time to time and uh-huh. show us the ropes. And, you know, we, we took him uh, seriously, and we always were appreciative of, of what he did for us, and we showed a lot of improvement uh, as a direct result of of his input. So, you know, there just may have been some kind of lingering attachment, and, and I don't mean that in, in the um, spirit attachment as in oppression or, or, or even possession. I just mean some sort uh-huh. of connection between right. us and, and him, and that uh, for whatever reason, he was kind of looking in on this event, passing through, literally, um, this this activity and kind of maybe taking some pride in, in watching us play and have a party <laughs> and have a good time and it's Halloween. I'm not, I'm not sure if that really was a contributing factor or not. Who knows? Maybe it was. Uh-huh. The, the Halloween aspect. But um, I was just very, 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 very relieved. And, and yeah. there was pain. There was a cut, for sure, mm. in my mm. windpipe. No one else around me knew anything yeah. about any of it. No one knew right. it was stuck in my throat. No one was paying the least bit of attention. No one obviously had noticed, the, you know, that that I had been rescued, um, you know, until after the fact. And I, and then and I'm going, wow, you know, did you guys see that? You know, what just happened. You realize I just almost died choking on my <laughs> pick. And they're like, what? Huh? Yeah, only you. You're such a dumbass. <laughs> had I got to the point where I was splayed out on the floor and not breathing that someone would have finally noticed and, right. and, and maybe taken some kind of positive uh-huh. action. You know, I'd like to think that, but nonetheless, it was very frightening. And, and I was, uh-huh. you know, at the end there, I was definitely on the verge of passing out. And once you came back, uh, how did the rest of the show go? <laughs> Oh, it was did fun. It was, it was like, whoa, I'm alive. Yay. You know, <laughs> yeah, yay. Yeah. It's like, like Scrooge, yeah. right, after, uh-huh. the, uh, after the final ghost. I'm alive. Yeah. Boy, buy me a goose. Go buy me the biggest <laughs> goose right now. 
that's another thing I hadn't done in about 30 years. I hadn't played in a band. And about five years ago, uh-huh. we we kind of eased our way into it. And then by by three and a half years ago, it was, in fact, I know exactly when it was. It was uh, New Year's Eve of, of, you know, three and a half plus years ago. We uh, did our first gig as a band. And so I'm in a, a, a fun, uh, extremely eclectic cover band with my wife and oldest daughter. Mm. We're the three mm. singers. I'm a guitar player. And it, it's fun. It's a blast. I love uh, it. It's something I, I hadn't realized how much I had missed it, you know, for yeah. 30 years till we started up again. And has this entity uh, returned to give you any sort of direction, any stage direction? No. Any more messages from behind to tell you no, no, that no. Let me, another, let me show you how to do it. That is another excellent question. Um, huh. I do not recall, I, I don't have any conscious memory anyway of any further interaction. It, it mm-hmm. actually, now that you're saying it, and I'm really trying to think about it, I, I did have a sense of, of kind of a, 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 an air of finality. Like... Mm-hmm. I have done this for you. You're welcome. I'm going to move on and do whatever. Mm. I'm going to go wherever I'm supposed to go and do what I'm supposed to do here. Um, I, I, I did you this one final favor. You know, rock on. Right. <laughs> have a good life. And, yeah. you know, see you on the other side. That huh. certainly does not mean that I have never had any subsequent communication, maybe through dreams. Mm. Um I do think, again, all this is kind of predicated on assuming there is some reality to all this, and it is not purely hallucination, uh, which is possible, um, to this whole world I'm talking about, uh, this whole concept of the paranormal, uh, I do think that entities, because it just makes sense, have a lot easier time communicating with people when they are asleep, when they are dreaming, huh. because it's a lower level of energy. I've done probably a couple hundred interviews by now with almost all the biggest names. There's very few I haven't talked to at one point or another in the field. And excuse me. And so I've kind of pieced together what is common between what they all say. There's a lot of areas of contradiction. There's a lot of areas where there is disagreement. But there seem to be certain areas where kind of everyone says approximately the same thing. So I'm, I'm assuming, I'm figuring, especially if, if that is also kind of logical, that there is something to that. So one of the things I keep hearing from the, the, the sensitives and the mediums and, and the people who, who have or claim to have those abilities is that, you know, there are a wide range of entities that are kind of hanging around for a, a wide variety of reasons, and they have a wide variety of, of abilities and powers and personalities, and that, um, you know, there are some that are actually very powerful and could uh, be dangerous to humans. Hmm. Um, you know, and that could very well apply to this recent tragedy, amazing, awful tragedy with the Constantinos that I'm sure you mm-hmm. guys have heard about, the, mm-hmm. the EDP specialists who um, have had, a, as it turns out, I didn't know anything about this, but who have had a kind of a violent 
relationship, but uh, ultimately mm-hmm. he kidnapped her in a SWAT standoff situation, killed her, killed himself. There's been a lot of speculation, of course, on on how could such a thing happen, what could lead to that. So mm-hmm. is there a paranormal connection? I don't know. I'm actually quite interested in following up on this because I, di- I interviewed them um, for a full hour on America's Most mm-hmm. Haunted just two years ago. And um, when I listened to that interview after all this happened, of course, I thought, wow, there were, there were a lot of hints. But, you know, there's always hints in mm-hmm. retrospect. So I'm, I'm interested in following up on this. At minimum, uh, I would like to write an article uh, at length. Mm-hmm. Maybe for the lineup would be an outstanding place <laughs> to put that. I was honestly been thinking about that. And then oh, uh, ultimately probably do a book. Well, Eric Olson, sounds like you have uh, plenty on your plate, constantly at work with something new. Always, uh, you gotta keep plugging away, you know. Got you. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, where can our listeners find you? Obviously, America's Most Haunted, Americas-Most-Haunted.com. Where else? Twitter, can they which tune in. Twitter, where I'm probably most active and visible of all. Uh, that's the at am haunted average probably close to 15 tweets a day i always interact okay. with people i see all anyone who retweets me or favorites or or just uh, you know communicates with me i always respond i'm i'm very visible there and then also pretty similarly on facebook you find it by looking up america's most haunted but the actual address is am haunted on facebook fairly recently i started a pinterest account and that's gone really well so all of this social media, and then, as you mentioned, the website, and then okay. uh, our show, which is uh, After Hours AM slash America's Most Haunted. It's a mouthful. Uh, very long acronym, kind of a dumb acronym, <laughs> so we won't, we won't worry about that. But that is Thursday nights at 9 Eastern. Uh, for two hours, and we usually do a news segment. We talk about paranormal news. If there's anything particularly uh, interesting and just general news, we'll touch on that. But we focus on uh, the paranormal news and just talk about what's going on and speculate on this and that. And then uh, almost always, then we have a guest for the second hour, once in a while even uh, for an hour and a half. Great. Well, Eric Olson, thank you very much for joining us today. It's a pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Eric Olson is the founder of America's Most Haunted, a website and radio show that celebrates all things paranormal, creepy, and spooky. He's also the co-author of the book America's Most Haunted, The Secrets of Famous Paranormal Places. Peer into the dark side at americas-most-haunted.com. The Lineup Podcast is written and produced by the Lineup staff and myself, Matthew Thompson. Special thanks to Eric Olson and our partners in crime at Open Road Media. Our audio producer is Chai Dingari. Background music is by Audioblocks. And our theme music is by Absofacto. Listen in at absofacto.com. For more information on the stories we present, visit our website, thelineup.com. That's the-line-up.com, where murder and mayhem is delivered daily. Be sure to sign up for our newsletter as well, which brings you five mysteries to your inbox every week. 
This is Matthew, and that does it for me. Until next time, keep it weird.